0: You're listening to Tasting Together with Maroki Tong and Andre Cruz
1: Happy New Year, Maroki.
0: Happy New Year, Andre. Welcome to 2024 on Tasting Together.
1: Is it too early to ask for a refund or are we assuming this year is going to be better than last year?
0: Uh, it has to be better this year because my wedding is in uh, the fall of 2024. So if it's a bad year, <laughs> I'll be really upset.
1: <laughs> okay, that's uh, completely fair. Completely fair. Uh, are you enjoying the wedding planning so far?
0: Uh, what wedding planning? Have I done any of it? I got really gung-ho when we locked down our venue back in September and then proceeded to fall right off the wagon. And I made all these uh, goals that I would do some of it over the holidays. And like every single year, I get almost none of the things on my to-do list done over the holidays.
1: All right. So you're not at the point where you're talking about food and catering.
0: Not yet. Although I know someone is going to go do the wine tasting with me at the venue in February.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's in my calendar. I I think that's a subtle thing to make sure that I haven't forgotten about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Okay. How how well, okay. how many things did you get knocked off your to-do list over the holidays?
1: A lot, a lot. Um and I'm actually oh. feeling a bit of burnout and and you and I talked a little bit about that where like we know each other pretty well to the point where, like, you could see the messages were like two word answers, and you were just like, okay, you need to go and relax. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it's good. Yeah, I started, enough. I started a couple of, um, new jobs, which added to a lot of stress going into the holidays, but like, it looks like I'll be landing on my feet in the new year and, um, you know, carrying on podcasting like a were- crazy person.
0: <laughs> were you able to at least indulge in food and drink? at the end of those really difficult days?
1: You know what? I actually have a few like real big highlights from uh, over the holidays. And um, you know, the first one was, so my wife and I are opening a new bakery spot in downtown Hamilton uh, called Chaton. And um, we'll be looking to open the doors in mid-January for a soft open and a bigger open towards the end of that. Um, but one thing that's become a bit of a tradition in our house over the past uh, few years has been uh, celebrating with Baller Champagne, um, so I managed to get my hands on a bottle of the Henry Giraud uh, Grand Cru, uh, repped by ABV agency. That this, these wines don't usually go through the LCBO, and and when they do, they don't last on the shelf for very long. So that was definitely a highlight. That we we don't we don't share that champagne with our friends.
0: I I, I am jealous and envious, and I understand. <laughs> all
1: at the same time. Uh, we did the Polish Fagilia, which was great as always. Um, Merrick outdid himself in... Uh, he usually goes out of his way to find all sorts of different kinds of pickled herring. I kind of experienced both ends of the spectrum of like whether I liked it or didn't like it. He had these um, little herring fillets that were wrapped around a pickle. And I was just like, oh, I love pickles. Like, there's no way this is going to be bad. Did not enjoy it at all. Like, it was like, oh. way too fishy and a little too sour. But then on the other hand, he had this like cold smoked herring preserved in oil that was like, oh my God, it's it's what smoked butter would would taste like, I think.
0: Do you have any more of that left? I would totally want to try it.
1: You know, I'll go and track some down. I'll ask him where it was that he got it because like it's, it's one of these things where it actually drives me and my wife nuts where it's just like, Usually once a year, we go and we pick up some of the, the 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 preserved herring and then just eat it with you know some bread and some nice butter and some other like charcuterie. And she's like, "How can we only do this around Christmas? Like, there's literally nothing stopping us from doing this in like February or August, you know." And then um, mm-hmm. the last one I need to give a, a shout out to uh, a restaurant in um, hang on, I have to look up the the name only because it's the chef's name and I don't want to huh. say it say it wrong so i was actually um surprised this was one of the best uh sushi meals i've had um outside of japan and probably the second best one i've had in the greater toronto area second only to kasamoto where i went to i guess about 10 years ago at this time now but uh sushi masayuki it's um in burlington um it touts itself as authentic Japanese cuisine. I can tell you, as someone who uh, who went to Japan like quite a while ago, it is as authentic as I think I've seen. Um, there is no all-you-can-eat option there. The fish quality is off the chart. They have toro, which is fatty, tuna belly, which is a real treat if you ever get a chance to try that. And, you know, I, I think... I ho- hopefully the Michelin Guide makes it outside of Toronto and maybe visit some of this place since they were so fond of adding sushi restaurants to the list.
0: I am definitely adding that one to my bucket list the next time I head out to your neck of the woods because, um, e- you know, even today, my, my baby brother right now it was going for dinner with his friends and they wanted sushi. And he was asking me what was good downtown and short of what was in the Michelin Guide, which is outside of his price range. Yeah. I really couldn't think of many, many suggestions for him. Now, obviously, he wasn't going to be going out to Burlington, but it just was a reminder to myself that I need to be looking for more options outside of the couple spots in my neighborhood that I, I, I love so much. So on my list, Andre. Well, let
1: me, let me just say, though, like um, we're not talking about bargain sushi. It, it, it was a couple of hundred bucks, like a hundred bucks for each Anya and I, but completely and utterly fully worth it.
0: Oh yeah. And I, I guess I should, I'm not talking about bargain sushi, but Michelin guide sushi is like a whole different
1: level
0: of sushi. Right. And, and oftentimes the moment you put that sign, like the Michelin sign on the whole price point changes on a menu. And it was just like that moment where I was just trying to consider something that makes it worth your while, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Completely. So what did you eat and drink over the holidays? Um, I know you sent me a few text messages. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, I did, but they, they had less to do with eating and drinking and and more throwing shade at my family and uh, their their understanding about wine. And I, I will not go into that because that's the, the family drama that no one's here about. And, and much love to my family as I say this because I still would never trade my holidays without them. Um,
1: I think so the holidays me. are all meant to be a little stressful, right? <laughs> like we, we yeah, talked about that yeah. before going on the break and like the holidays are meant to be a bit stressful.
0: Yes, I know. What 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 is the holidays without some sort of commentary that, that drives you up the wall? But I wouldn't have it any other way. Um. So this year, it's interesting because you know how we've talked about in the past that, like, I've never really done the traditional holiday meals growing up, yeah. Um. you know, coming from a Chinese family. And it wasn't until I reached adulthood that suddenly one day I woke up and was like, we're going to do turkey and stuffing and we aren't going to, you know, we're not going to mess with it. We're not going to do something different with the stuffing. Like to all the innovative style of stuffings out there. It has to be the traditional bread stuffing and the traditional spices, yada, yada, yada. So this year, we actually did deviate around that. Um, one of the things my mother said is that this year, she did want to do no cooking. Uh, my family kept throwing around, not, not completely joking that they want to just get swish LA for Christmas. And I was like, absolutely not. I can No, I refuse. I absolutely refuse. So um, my siblings and I, my, my youngest, my youngest sister, I should say is the one who affectionately dubbed us top chef children's edition. Okay. And we decided to take care of the Christmas holidays. And one of the nights, my sister and her husband actually decided to do a raclette dinner. Oh um, yeah. I saw the photos ago, my, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago, my mother, my mother is is a Europhile through and through and she actually bought herself a little like raclette kit, like, uh, the little, um, at raclette at home, uh tools and yeah. and and we we've done it like twice maybe so we kind of pulled it all out dusted it off turns out longos actually sells little raclette kits like cheese and all um and we enjoyed a raclette night we ended up blowing the fuse several times in the house yeah but you were work. running
1: yeah i saw the photos you were running two raclette grills at the same time <laughs> like those things do not like they're not energy efficient like
0: no, we you're learned. basically running like
1: two <laughs> barbecues inside your house at the table. Like, how many people? Yep. How many people were eating raclette at your house?
0: Uh, nine, nine people. So there was a there was a lot of fuse blowing. We, there was a lot of like trying to figure out which uh, nine people. Okay, like, which so then, then you were, then you and were which dealing with systems.
1: <laughs> okay, but then you were dealing with impatient people because there's eight. Like there's eight little paddles with each raclette grill, so you really just needed the one with someone waiting. So like you. Okay, you know what? I'm actually kind of on board with that. That means that you had enough you had enough paddles for like two paddles per person. That means we double the cheese. We also
0: like different cheeses cooking at the same time and the table was big and you know people were on either side. I don't I think they just wanted to use it. It, it but like there was a lot of jerry rigging involved. So we had a reclette <laughs> night. Um my mother decided last minute that she really wanted to bring a suckling pig to the Christmas dinner, so we actually placed an order for a suckling pig, and then a suckling pig arrived along with a roast duck because I guess roast duck, she decided was was um, looking really good. Yeah, and, I, I, I uh, do stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did. My brother did some Cornish hens. He did some spatchcocked Cornish hens, and then we had some root veg on the side. So fully home cooked meal, safe for the you know the suckling pig and the roast duck, which is always just easier and better coming from the experts who can make it versus struggling with it in your house. um, I would say I didn't, I don't think I pulled any like super baller wines like the way you did, Andre. But the holidays is usually the one time where I'm gonna try and pull out all the stuff, like all the local things I've been wanting to show my family for a while. <laughs> you know, they're coming from the States, they're coming from the West Coast, so I yeah. want to show them what we have in Ontario. And usually it's a time for me to pull out all the Ontario wines. So I pulled out Divergence, which I know is part of um the wine collective you're part of Andre Drink Collab, yep. um Virtual Winery in Niagara. I pulled out some Meldville, Derek Barnett, one of my favorite winemakers. Um I also pulled out and I pulled out like Chateau des Charmes. So a lot of the the you know the big hits of Niagara to Niagara on the Lake, but I also Pulled from my personal collection, a side by side of Tom of Batchelder Gamay from mm-hmm. 2019. To and I, I held a mini tasting in my household. I don't know. I don't know if I forced them or not. But that's that one time where I got to show off a little bit to kind of run show them a side by side tasting of how Gamay could vary based on vineyard and terroir and i think that was a really interesting learning experience for all of them and the scientists in the group were really excited that it was all coming from winemaker one winemaker because they're like that's the control that's the control (laughs) so i can really understand the variances and whether something is whole cluster or, or different vineyards and just um noticing just how much um you know even the most subtle thing like a vineyard being 20 kilometers away can impact the final wine in the bottle
1: cool i mean how well how did the mini tasting go over
0: I think it went over very well. I, I think um some people still didn't quite understand why those variances could make a difference in the wine or would attribute um like a, a variance like whole cluster fermentation versus destemmed to the final flavors in not the correct way. But sometimes that's just like wine is hard, right? Like I, I know I'm sounding really snobby saying they didn't understand this, but Wine is really hard and one tasting alone isn't going to educate you overnight why whole clusters different than de-stemmed or why something, uh, aged in, uh, you know, a large barrel, um, is different than something aged in smaller barrels. Like you, it, it's just so much knowledge. So the fact that they walked away, even my father who loves trolling me and he's always like, red wine tastes the same as white wine, very actively showed interest in Oh, I actually am tasting something different, or I like this over this, or oh, I've you know when I've sat in business dinners, I I always just know I'm drinking Burgundy or Pinot Noir. I didn't realize they could be one and the same, right? Like for him, he walked away with something knowledgeable, something new, and they learned something. And for me, that's really all that matters because if we can take make like take the intimidation out of wine, we can help people feel like they're more educated about wine. Like my my sister said, oh. I'm now beginning to understand that I like warmer climate wines, right? She likes her no. big Italian. Giano, no. <laughs> no. No. Multiple She No. No, Are You're screaming here. Okay. Which hey, sister? Hey, which hey. sister?
1: Which sister? No,
0: my, my youngest sister. You have not met her yet, but okay. it, it's helpful, You need to get on that.
1: You have to fix that. I
0: know. I'm getting on that. No, no, no. I, I showed them the Ontario products. I showed them our cool climate. She likes a lot of them too. But I think this is useful for people who are going to buy wine, don't know how to describe it to people, and then they end up walking out with a bottle they don't like. Yeah, right. You know, all all, all so kidding, if, all kidding if, if aside. No, yeah. sorry,
1: sorry, just like all kidding aside. I mean, that is one of the things that um, has been a bit of a, a mantra of mine. And, and I know we said it on uh, on this show when we were on the radio, and I know you've heard me say it um, off the air as well. Is I think when people ask you if you prefer white or red wine, they're asking the wrong question. Where when you talk to someone who doesn't like Ontario wine, and in particular Ontario red wine, you ask them what they do like. You know, nine times out of 10, the answer is Chile, California, Australia. And it's just like, oh, it's not that you don't like Ontario wine. It's just you prefer warmer climate wine. And I mean, that's one thing where if you're new to wine listening to this and you've had bad experiences with Ontario wine, think about what wines you do like. And this is one where, like, you know, I would love to be, you know, the the, the chief pied piper for Ontario wine, where everybody from... Ottawa to Windsor to Thunder Bay to Kenora drinks Ontario wine but the reality is not everybody's gonna like everything that's how our mouths work so
0: yeah 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 yeah. and actually it was interesting because um I guess I should shout out the restaurants that we we actually did dine out quite a bit too and we dined out at a lot of Asian restaurants because my brother's girlfriend was visiting Canada for the first time and um she doesn't actually get access to a lot of good Asian food and so we were trying to kind of really give her that like quintessential Toronto experience via Asian cuisine. So we actually ended up. I'm rounding up my Alvin Lung experience by dining at R and D in Chinatown, which is him and Eric Chong's project, who was the winner of MasterChef Canada season one. Um, and she actually said it was the best meal she's ever had. Those oh, right were on. her words. Go dining at R and D, and actually I brought I brought wine to the restaurant that night. I um, was the corkage, Ontario? Huh?
1: What was the corkage?
0: Corkage? $35. Quite reasonable. Not bad. And I brought a Magnum.
1: Oh, not bad.
0: Yeah, so I brought an Ontario Blau Frankish, which when tasting on its own was, you know, like for someone who's a warm climate drinker, was like, dang, this is really sour. This is really not my favorite wine, but paired really good against the kind of heavy fats and salt, saltiness and umaminess of, you know, dim sum and Iberico ham, cha and and fried rice. So it kind of even shows how wine can vary uh vary with pairing. So yeah, we dined at R&D, we went to Pie, uh you know, oh, wow. regulars. Place so really get, kind of gave her the experience of eating Asian cuisine in Toronto and of course dim sum.
1: <laughs> I need to get some dim sum in me before I go back to work or I think I'm going to explode. Um it's been way too long. And um yeah. Um I guess moving on here as, as we're addressing the the new year we talked about what we did for the end of 2023 um are you one for new year's resolutions
0: um <laughs> new i i wonder if it's like less of um a, a proactive new year's resolution thing and more of a reactive of now that I've stuffed my body with so much dim sum and fried rice and congee and, and suckling pig and, and roast duck and then my, the baked goods. My brother made macarons over Christmas. My sister made combos cookies after all the baked goods and shortbread. I, I might just need to dial it back. Forget, forget the resolutions part. I just think my body can't take much more, um, delicious, fatty and salty foods. I do not have a cast iron stomach that way. And, I have mentioned on air before right I'm I'm quite gluten intolerant and lactose intolerant and I find my I do have a lot of digestive issues in general. Um I sacrifice it um because I love food and drink so much but I think if I had to say it um my new year's resolution it probably would require a bit of the clean eating phenomena to happen.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm very much in you? the uh, I'm very much in the same same boat. I mean I guess sort of off the air like I've been struggling quite a bit with uh with my weight and with uh just food over the course of the year and I mean it was another year with having this particular show and you know kind of being the first fully like doors open um post-pandemic summer you know it was really easy to slip back into old habits so like I'm trying really hard to find that balance and um yeah, I know you You and I, we had a bit of an accountability group. Um, I guess that was... I moved to Hamilton, but I can't remember how long. I think that was two years ago? It
0: was around last year. It was, it was around, last around a year. year. Yeah, last year. year like, um, it started in the fall because I had a surgery that I needed to prepare for. And um, I decided to kind of get... Uh, kind of like try and, um, you know, uh, in, like increase my health, I guess. Optimize my health leading up to the surgery. So we decided to do an accountability group. And... And yeah, so anyhow, go on, go on.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm good. I'm trying to find a solution because like what I was able to do, like when I lost all the weight in 2020 and 2021, um, at the time was sustainable. And now that where I'm able to entertain again is not sustainable. So I need to find a way to strike some sort of balance. And then on, on not only that, but the lifestyle changes, like my career changed where I was able to commute. Like I had a good 25 kilometer bike ride, like to and from work, like, uh, you know, 17 kilometers each way. And, you know, I work from home, like I get out of bed, I take my dog for a walk, and then I sit on my duff in front of my computer screen for most of the day. So I don't know, I just I need to find a way to carve out time for physical exercise. But, um, you know, I was working with um, a bunch of uh, retired pro athletes at my last marketing job. And one thing they said that um, really stuck with me, and I think it's true is you can't outrun a bad diet. So no matter yep. how much exercise you do, you still have to fuel yourself with healthy things. And um, I know what that looks like, so I just got to find a balance to go back to twenty twenty. So I will be, um, mm. I will be doing that a lot more. Leafy greens, which is, I think has been something I've been trying to say for about eight months now.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm always open to doing more accountability with you, Andre. But maybe one of the things I want to say for our listeners too is like, I do believe that. Uh New Year's resolutions should not be built on the shame of your previous actions or kind of done in like, a, I need to do this for um like this goal that's, I guess, based on societal pressures, right? Like historically, it's always like, oh, when you go to the gym, because then you lose my weight and you lose holiday when you do this. And I, I do appreciate that a lot of New Year's resolutions um over the years has sort of progressed a little bit more towards something more uplifting and positive and good for ourselves right like i'm i was even just reading some of these uh you know new year's resolution blogs like one to try for 2024 and one was like focus on a passion not the way you look and about normalizing normal bodies and i think that's really important right it's like if you're going to go to the gym you're working out to feel good yep. not be thinner and well, you're, you're being healthier and that's somewhat and you know like coming from you know as someone who's Coming from an acting background and um, living in the the sea of of self esteem issues that came from that industry, and then uh, being raised Asian, and we have a lot of pressure about thinness in in Asian culture. Uh, I, I think it's like really important for us to be recognizing that body types are different, and like when you are choosing to take care of yourself, it's to take care of yourself. It's not to try to kind of achieve some sort of standard that may or may not be realistic for for you
1: which I really appreciate it's just I don't know knowing that I was able to do it once I feel like I can do it again and I'm not doing it like nobody's tapped me on the shoulder and 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 made fun of me or anything like that it's just you know I don't feel as good as I did in 2021 when I was biking 20 kilometers a day
0: Oh, for sure. And that's what I'm saying. Do it for yourself. Do it for your health. Like I, I intend to be, um, I have some fitness goals that I want to achieve this year. And one of them is like getting my splits per se. And, and I just, need to, yeah, in my handstands, I want to get my handstand. So there's just these things I I want to do that kind of make me feel good about myself and it, but I'm not necessarily attributing to it. It's like, Oh, I need to do the splits, but I also need to be 30 pounds less in order to be able to do the splits.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. that. Like, I, I, yeah, I, like I know, I, I know me, that I want to lose, a, lose a bit of weight, but it's just like it's a matter of like clothes that I bought after I lost the weight that like I really love just aren't fitting as well as they were before, and it's just like, yeah, Andre, you got to make some better choices.
0: Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, um, I know for me, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is just like when when we love food and drinks and when we support hospitality and we talk so much about wanting to support our local restaurants and go out and eat and i love like i love experiencing new things the, the 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 downside of that is that it does have a financial impact and i i have a wedding to save up for i have other you know expenses that are are just like part of our day-to-day life that i need to be a little bit more considerate of and i've been just thinking about well what can i Like, what can I do to dial back in 2024 without hurting the, like hurting the industry that I talk about supporting so much, right? Like, I I remember one of the things I heard about in the industry a lot. It's like, oh, dry, you know, everyone's like talking about dry January. It's coming around, but, um, you know, maybe consider buying a gift card to your favorite brewery or winery in this time because they're going to hit a huge economic slump. Well, I I can tell you, I can tell you. I struggle with that. I hear that all the time. And I'm like, dang, now I feel really bad. (laughs)
1: well no but i can tell you like from experience like i do farmers markets for the adx wine company and talking to one of the other wine vendors that uh, goes to one of the markets with me uh they actually chose to cancel all of their january markets because like the rise of dry january is having an impact and i mean this is one where like i want to make sure people can keep the lights on i want to make sure that that people are still able to do business but like on the other hand I don't know, like January is traditionally slow for everyone. Like maybe that's the time to start taking vacations, things like that, and, and, you know, bank on picking up sales in February. Although, you know, there's dry February as well, too, that's really starting to make a splash in the marketing world. Like I'm starting to see bus ads and billboards for that, like dry February for, um, for cancer. So, you know what? If, if we sign up for all the dry months, it's dry January, dry February, and sober October.
0: Mm hmm and maybe it's just one of those things where sometimes when we're really close to an industry there you you care about it and you kind of uh, it, it's it, we're like we don't take a step back to look at the forest for the trees right and the thing is is that the reality is is that there's economic um there's moments of economic slowness or there's moments of market slowness for probably mul- for all the different industries out there and we have to just sort of take a moment and recognize okay if january is going to be a slow month as you said Maybe it's a time for those businesses to be taking care of themselves, regrouping and not, and recognizing that this is just like a short moment in the broader scheme of a business, right? Like the health of a business should not depend on one month, should not, should not be uh, affected by one month of slow sales that or, you need to be or this is at a whole year long or multi year strategy.
1: Or this is the thing where, you know, hopefully we'll see the pivot. Like last year when we did dry January, like I went week in, week out where I don't think I found a single, um, you know, zero alcohol wine that I thought was a passable alternative to wine where, you know, we've talked a lot on this show about how in 2023, we were past the point of making fun of vegans because there's so many great options. I keep non-alcoholic beer in the fridge because sometimes I just like to have a brew while I'm cooking, but I don't want to get buzzed. Like, I- I'm still waiting for someone to step up and deliver a-, a good wine alternative that has zero alcohol and it's not there yet. So... You know what, maybe mm-hmm. this is the time for people to step up if dry January is starting to bite into people's wallets.
0: Mm-hmm. I know for myself, like, outside of the, the dry January part of it, I'm just trying to think of ways for me to um, get, get my get my novelty food fixed by not necessarily leaving, at home, leaving the home. And maybe that means challenging Eric, who is the chef of our house, to get more inventive with his cuisine, per se, and maybe making our at-home date nights a little more special.
1: Well, um you doing Dry January?
0: I'm I'm gonna be doing s- dryish. I know last year you said dry ish. I think I'll be doing something similar. Uh, I <laughs> I do have some um like gastro issues that I think I need to examine a little bit further in my body and I I think doing an elimination like doing some eliminations will help really pinpoint some of that and look look let's be real right here's the thing that we've said several times like we love our wine but it even if whether or not we get buzzed after one drink or after five drinks we are drinking something that is detrimental to our bodies and health and i need to be considerate of that
1: yeah i'm actually taking a quick look because we've always called it dry ish january just because you know there's professional obligations there's tastings that come up i mean you know, the life of a food and wine journalist doesn't stop just because of dry January. Um, I have nothing in the books that would involve me taking a sip in January, so this might be the oh, year wow. where it's an actual dry January, but I mean, it's only uh, December 28th, the day we're recording this. Plenty of room for uh, invites to slide into the inbox.
0: <laughs> I know I have something lined up in in the middle of January because it's ice wine festival season and I'll be attending my first ice wine oh. media event so so I have an RCP for that.
1: No I have an RSCP for that. There
0: you go. Suddenly, suddenly the things in your DMs are more visible than you think.
1: Oh no. I think,
0: you know, for me, it's making commitments. Like I I know for me I I probably will put right in my calendar tonight is a tea night. Tonight is a tea night. I think when I don't set the intention for myself, it's easy for me to kind of roll into the end of the night and go, oh, I think I'll have a nightcap tonight. Um and I think I if I set that intention for myself, it'll be a lot better in the long run.
1: I think that's great.
0: Well, All right. we're talking about... I know, we're talking about dry January, but I—but we're about <laughs> to kind of <laughs> dive into an interview that we we actually did it some time back of um, a, a, a quite prolific food and beverage location, but but not in Canada. Sorry, yeah. folks.
1: Very, very influential, um, at least within the, the hospitality world, the food world. Um, we had a chance to sit down with Trevor Gulliver, of uh, Saint John, wait, wait, Saint John, right? Saint, not Saint John, Saint John, yes. Saint John wines. Um, make sure you fasten your seatbelt because these wines are excellent. Um, they do pop up on quite a few wine lists in Toronto, but um, there's a part of this interview that I was completely not expecting to have with someone who is essentially fine dining royalty.
0: It's interesting um, going into this interview very, very shortly because, Andre, I had a moment when I I was first looking into St. John Wines, I thought I was going to taste my very first British wine.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's no sparkling wine on the table. No (laughs) No. British wines on the table.
0: Well, I mean, sparkling wine, British wine. Oh, yes, I understand because a lot of wines from England tend to be sparkling wines, but that doesn't make it any less interesting to be a diving into this conversation very very shortly because one of the things i know you and i talk about in um tasting together is more than just wine but also wine and food and there's a really big food component to the story as well
1: 100 uh we have a guest once again at loop line in toronto we're joined by trevor gulliver
2: he is the uh founder owner saint john's yeah that'll do that'll do we got that with my um a long time um chef partner fergus henderson
1: well, there we go. And, uh, I mean, right before we hit record, you were talking about an uh, influential book that I think we should drop off before we get into the wines that uh, if anyone hasn't heard of, your chef has written.
2: Yeah, I, I, it would be fair to say that, Fergus, this was published in 97, and it was no Uh It remains all these years later. We opened in 94. Um, the go-to, as you you know, famously championed it. Um, and it still sits; it'll sit in the top of the list for a thousand books. Only recently it was on LA Times, I noticed. So it's kind of a must-have. And of course, the chefs—you know—you talk about. There's a lot of the chefs here have made their have made that journey. Whether well, it's David Mill and Matty, etc. To St John. And I've been here, and uh, it's been people are coming. Off,
1: uh, I, I love that you're able to just name just to name drop some of these people for everyone who's listening that isn't on a first name basis with Maddie. It's Maddie Matheson that you're talking about, really influential and well known Toronto chef, and like you've known these
2: guys a long time. Oh yeah, yeah, we shared adventures. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes I'm the last one standing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think you might be the last one standing as you've got uh, you have a, a, a line of wines that have been in the market. And this is one where, pardon my ignorance, not knowing the uh, pedigree of, of St. John's, I've always been a fan of the wines that I've purchased through Ascari, um, which is another really great local Toronto restaurant and have always been pleased at what you do. But I've always been surprised where every time another St. John's wine shows up at my house. I thought originally it was a winery in Burgundy, but then the next wine that showed up was, well, we have a, a Claret in front of us. You've got Bordeaux in front of us and some other regions. So we've got quite a bit of a lineup to go through of your line of wines that exist outside the restaurant.
2: Because uh, when, we, when we started, the world was different then. You'd get international hotel chains, which also would be big imports of wine. There was this agglomeration thing going on. So remember, this is a long, long time ago now. I guess 30-odd years. Um, and the same in Canada because you know it's Molson basically. Um, whether Chateau de Pap or Chardonnay or was it a grape? Was it a place? No idea. Unwooded. Why did that? To explain what's wooded, it's all that stuff. And whereas a Canadian or a Brit will go into the bar and won't discuss, but will order what he wants because he knows what he wants. Same in Italian. Would would do with wine because they grow it with go up with it around them and I am starting to focus on, and I knew somewhere, uh, if you like uh, entry level terrible term wines and I'm going that one there and that one there is the same wine in a different bottle at a different price so all these shenanigans they still happen today all those shenanigans um, and I kind of said we could do better than this and you had a wall same in here with the LCBO maybe where you could only have what they brought but in that case it was a complete commercial wall like when you go in a supermarket you have choice you have no choice whatsoever do not be fooled you are already in their machine people don't see that they go go in the supermarket you are not you have no choice because they've already made a choice for you in the world of wine that was happening and was full time an Englishman would have his claret in his club or, or at lunch um, but it was kind of nondescript made um, could have a little bit I we just moved we used to live on the Canal de Midi the the barges no longer go from the, from the Mediterranean ports that have come across from Algeria straight up to Bordeaux <laughs> to just add a bit of zoom in a bad year. Um, so I just said, so we could do better than this. And that's when it kind of started. And from there till now, every single wine we, on our list we import directly. We've become a champion for small growers who could never get to market. Um, we work in France because it's our neighbours. Um, we get diversity. It works with our, our way of, of running our restaurant. Uh, we get to know people. It's at the heart of everything we do. We bake bread. We only, use our, we only use our hands, and that's important for us for craft. So 30 years on, we have our fit, because, of course, one day you're standing in front of a medieval building with no roof in a medieval village going, I'm not doing this, but I tell you, I'm not not. No, no. That afternoon, I think we signed the deal, and that's, she'd become winemakers. But during that time, uh, like with the claret, you know, you'd know, you have this company that has good good ordinary claret, it's called, and I guess it probably was. And, of course, we wanted good claret. So what happened was, and I've just learned in the past in lockdown of things, is we're not a brand, but we, we are trusted. And then we saw a lot of our own wines because I would work with Conferon to make a Burgoyne. I explained why I wanted to do it and he would one day when, after he'd stopped saying no, he would then say and proudly go, I make this. And it is because we want to guarantee good wine, good winemakers, consistency and also delivery. I mean, there's a whole set of things happening in Burgundy yet again. Um, and it was done for us. And then people said, can we have some? I <laughs> yeah, okay. A bit like our bakery now, where obviously you'll find our bread in, in, in fashionable stores in, in the West End kind of thing in London. Um, and it's a big part of what we do. And so at any one time, we'll have seven to a hundred uh, vineyards we're working with directly. With Cicello and Palmer and day. we've been making that claret for nearer 30 years. And we have a way in which we blend it. I'll uh, be in Macon in two weeks' time, blending our Macon. Uh, and, of course, we make our wine, which a, a very celebrated wine writer said, actually, Trevor, and he put a blasphemy in between the last word, these wines really are good. So I looked around, <laughs> and realising there was no one else in the restaurant because it had gone on that late. I said, well, we didn't go to France to make... Oh, can I say shit? Uh, yeah, you can say shit. And We're I said, I said we didn't go to France to make shit. And yeah. we, what do we expect? And then... Then people and people sort of found us out. We put a label you wouldn't understand. It was us, kind of thing. Um, Boulevard Napoleon, which is the name of the street, it's not a street; it's an alley. And it's a, like a, a French village is like an Argentan, Rue de saint saens saint and You go, this is an alleyway, um, and now it, it scores great points. Didn't ask for it, but they find you out. And I suppose we can cook, so our restaurant is a is a cross a crossroads. So I'll tell you the San, Sandroni and Chirapetto story So they both came They were in London for wine stuff And they said, can you I'll fix the booking? I said, of course you can And um, they got a letter came back on this parchment And I figured, rather than buy the Gestetner machine Which is one way of paying the Mafia <laughs> You never used it, you just pay for it the, Or you had lots of paper They used to say that was the Mafia money You had to buy something Or you'd have a photocopier that never worked <laughs> On a contract I'm sure that wasn't the case and on this um, old buff letter, it said, Dear Trevor, we had such a great time. To do this. Hello to Fergus, da, da da da. And at the end, it just said, And Trevor, should we ever have to drink French wine, we will only come to St. John to do it. <laughs> I said, I'll take that. So it's kind of, um, so we are a crossroads for a lot of people.
1: Let, let, let me ask you a bit of a question, though, about like, Quality. the quality of these wines are, are great. I, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast yet because we, we did
2: quite a bit of <laughs> I'm talking say, before I'm we I would say it humbly, report. that's very kind of you.
1: Um, but like these wines have been in my house quite a bit. You're the second person at this table. Actually, I'm the second person at this table who's put pigs on on bottles. So I think without a doubt, when chefs have showed up at my house for dinner, these wines have inevitably made their way there. But my favorite thing about these wines is they're not super expensive. So the, the question I have for you is when you go into this venture to make quality wines, I mean, anyone with a big pocketbook can go and make good wines. You go buy an expensive Chateau or you go partner with an expensive Chateau and you put your brand on it. That doesn't seem to be what you're trying to do. Like You're trying to make these accessible. So like, what's your company's philosophy when you go into a venture like this to make sure that people like Moroki and I can A, afford to drink your wines, and B, want to make sure we can afford to get a second and third bottle (laughs)
2: what <laughs> we are—the house of quality and the house of value. What <laughs> <laughs> I mean when you're no. building when you're
1: building a an iconic brand, like like value can mean a lot of things. Like value yeah. can be two hundred, three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars, as long as you're delivering value. But the Burgoyne Chardonnay that's in my house all the time I get for six between sixty five and seventy five dollars in yeah. in Toronto at restaurants.
2: I, d- I, d- I think it's because I mean, it's basically that trust thing. Um, we protect our mar- our markups because we have to because we're a business. You shouldn't be in business if you can't afford to pay your your own people and the people you you take produce from. Our own winery sits in the middle of everything we do. Doesn't quite make money, but it does make money across overall. And the lessons we learn and the things we, and the places we can go is fundamentally important. Like 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 a, like a body it has different different parts that function for different reasons. Um, and if someone playing, paying... Let's say, I mean, a pint, a pint of Guinness in London would cost you £8, sometimes more. Um, so if somebody wants to have a, a glass of good Burgundy and they're going to pay 16, 17... I mean, champagne prices a glass in certain restaurants are outrageous. Um, they want to be able to trust it. And if somebody wants to spend um, that money on, a, on, on one glass, wants to know it's a good wine, we'll tell them who makes it. We're, we never make... We, there's no secrets... Um, and they enjoy it and it is that thing about trust because I mean we, we did bag and might still get some kickback from it but because we're in Michelin and um, that we have bag and box I put bag and box on the and it says Beebe on the list probably nearly 20 years ago now and people said well, Trevor what if so comes you know what he's going to do there's a lot of the wine trade coming you know and they, they have we famously have our little stubby glasses that gents would say Do you want to write something else in purple pages, Trevor? Because I'm getting some earache about your... And and if you're Bordeaux Index... They They bring home glasses. Something got behind the bar. We don't mind. It's a restaurant and a bar. We're we're every man. We're very democratic in that sense. But But back to that... um, That working with with an individual or the family... um, We're making something that is honest. That is a function price-wise of the costs for them for us to um, ship it and then for us to sell it through the vehicle of our of our um, these days whether it's online or on-trade we have a lot of on-trade customers now which just quietly grew which is interesting because you'd see a restaurant with a competition with its, if you like, its own label terrible word a phrase um, no, it's kind of people going, if, if it, I know it works for you Trevor but funny enough it works for us, tr- us too and I, I have not thought of it thought of that that way mm-hmm. um, so so the bagging box is very uh, well. If he if he says that, tell him you can have it from a bottle, and it'll be four pounds a glass. So we can have it from a, from the from the bagging box, and it'll be three pounds fifty a glass.
1: Boxed wine. The the answer to the world's problem is boxed wine, Maroki. Did, did, were you expecting that to come out of Trevor's mouth?
0: No, but it also makes so much sense because I have this memory. I actually have this memory long before boxed wine had the rep has the reputation it does now of trying a boxed wine at it must have been LCBO when they were talking to me about how great boxed wine is for a kind of sustainability and how long it stays preserved and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, okay, the vacuum seal is really good and and it's good for sustainability. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then immediately kind of watching the reputation of box wine degrade very well, soon after I had that tasting. That's so- partly
1: the LCBO's fault. That's that's partly the LCBO's <laughs> fault, because there were some there were some fairly like strict rules on like what could and couldn't end up on the shelf of the LCBO because I remember I had a moment in Beaujolais in about 2018. I was visiting a domain called Domaine de Toulon, and they have this amazing gamay. It's 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 um oh, sorry it's Beaujolais obviously it's gamay. Sorry, I'm just looking at the website for it. It's a Beaujolais village called Boite a Gamay, which uh, basically means like picnic box of gamay. And the label, like on the glass bottle, is like the red and white checkerboard that, like you kind of picture with like putting on a picnic table. I remember being Mm -hmm. at the winery and turning around and they had like a shelf with just 40 liter boxes of this amazing gamay. And it was just like, holy crap, like how much you sell that for? And they said the price and it was just like it worked out to like two euros a bottle, something like that. But it was just like, yeah, our our bistros can roll through this. It takes them a month or two months to go through it and it stays fresh and then they get another one. And it's just like, whoa. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, and I remember last year when I was going to the Okanagan for the first time, I went to Kalala, who, which is a Sikh-owned winery out in Kelowna. And they were doing their tastings with uh, wine in a bag, which is, I mean, essentially wine in a box. It's just the bag in the box. It just had the bag out. And for similar reason, right? Because at, doing a tastings, it's much harder to open your bottle and keep it preserved if you have a slow day of tasting than in a, ba- in a vacuum-sealed pouch.
1: Yep. And I mean, it's also mm-hmm. keeping in mind that not all wine is meant to be like Cellared like you know, Edgar McSnob. Let's squirrel this away forever and ever. Like sometimes, you know, a five euro bottle of Yame is going to be as good as it is when it's bottled. So crush away, drink it up.
0: Exactly, exactly. And you know, to to wrap up this particular podcast, and it it was, I, I, it's a little bit off air. But Trevor said something that I that resonated a lot with me personally because I will fully say like. I, I love London, I love England and but you know, sometimes I wonder if I know how to connect with the industry as well as I do as an Asian woman because like let's let's be real, I studied in Northern Ireland before and mm-hmm. like out there it's pretty homogenous in some ways and they can get really, you know, like exclusive in the way the industry is. And I think one of the things that made Trevor as successful as as he is, is his constant willingness to kind of um, be progressive and, and break past the bounds and, and rectify mistakes which sometimes doesn't necessarily happen if you're kind of the old school industry professionals right we've seen this between you and I the gatekeeping that happens in the industry and Trevor actively um, tries to break that down he actually said something that I actually wrote in one of my notes so that I could like look at it forever as he said you can forgive us our sins because we didn't know but you can't forgive them when you don't change.
1: Geez, I hope uh, a certain winery in Prince Edward County might be listening to this, but they're probably not. I'm not going to say their name again. But that's a really great place to end this. And what a really great start to 2024 to forgiveness when forgiveness is asked for and change has been made.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think this is a good... um parting words of advice as any as we roll into 2024 so if you enjoy our podcast please uh subscribe and give us a five-star rating it means so much to us and find out what's happening between andre and i over 2024 on tasting together bye